three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Crash Connell, Columbus Day, October 9, 2023, a fresh new podcast today. And we are blessed to have back in studio today a friend of the show, we say, Pastor Kevin Minsky. And uh, we've got lots to share. You're going to want to uh, take notes on this one, have your swords handy. Good morning, Pastor Kevin Minsky. Good morning, Crash. Good to be back. And so uh, we're going to deal with the elephant in the room here. Uh, let's start off with some scripture and prayer. Let's, uh, let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, this morning. I think that would uh, do everyone's hearts well. John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've provided the way of escape from our sin. Thank you for opening the door for heaven for us if we will but enter in through the blood of your Son, Jesus. Father, we commit our hearts and our minds to you now, for this hour, for this day, for the rest of our lives, that we might be your instruments of righteousness. Use us, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Awesome scripture. Awesome scripture. <clears throat> very, very apropos, as we say. Mm -hmm. Since Saturday morning, Kevin Minsky, my wife told me, have you heard? She turned on her phone. She says, Israel has declared war against Hamas. And those are big words, declared war. That's the elephant in the room, and we talked a little bit about it on the morning show. But let's let's dive into what's going on in Israel. Yeah, Israel, recent developments that go back 4,000 years. So <laughs> we like to think that this happened on Saturday. First of all, uh, our prayers and our thoughts obviously should and do go out not just to the uh, to the Israelis who were who were so brutally attacked, and for all those others that are in that region that are caught up in this turmoil for various reasons, we think about them. Uh, it was interesting yesterday at church. People were either totally consumed with the Israeli question, or they had no clue at all that it had even happened. And if it did happen, so what? People, I don't think, understand the spiritual dimensions that are involved in this. It's often the political that gets talked about, sometimes the economic reasons, but there are definitely spiritual reasons here. Is Israel important as Christians? So I'm a Christian pastor, I'm a Christian man, and I come here today that, to say this. God has never rescinded, he's never removed his covenant promises to the nation of Israel. There are whole denominations that teach and believe something called replacement theology. It's also referred to as covenant theology. And what that basically means is the church today, this church age, has replaced Israel. And we are now 
the recipients of God's covenant promises. They rejected their Messiah, they crucified Jesus, therefore God has, has cast them aside. The Apostle Paul goes to great lengths, three whole chapters through the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11, where he makes the point God has not cast aside Israel. They have been temporarily put aside. We've been grafted in. So that's one of the issues. People think, well, okay, who cares about Israel? We should also worry about Ukraine and Afghanistan, and they had a great earthquake. And Yes, we should. But we need to remember the spiritual dimensions here. Zechariah. Chapter 2, verse 8, says that he who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. You want to poke God in the eye? Go join the UN. Go try to divvy up the land that God has given to Israel as a covenant promise. Here's one thing you should think about as Christians. When the covenant promise was first given to Abraham, God was specific. He gave them the land from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. They have never in history inhabited that stretch of land as of yet. Therefore, think logically now. Don't check your brain at the door here. If you're a Christian, you have to say this. Either God lied to Abraham, or it is yet future in its fulfillment. We take the Bible literally. God says what he means and means what he says. He is yet to give them that land, and he will one day. I think it's very near on the horizon. What's interesting, even in you look, look in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, I think it's verse 52, when the angel comes to Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, he gives her that direct promise and reiterates what's called the Davidic covenant. Your son will sit on the throne of his father, David. Now you tell me this, Christians, when did that ever happen in human history? Oh, so then that must be future as well. The church has not replaced Israel. God still has a program and a plan for her, and we need to be very careful that we don't get twisted around in that theology because we're going to face situations just like we are this week now with Israel in her turmoil, and it's really our enemy Satan who's trying to drive her into the sea and wipe her off the map. He uses huge human agents to do that. So um, in Deuteronomy, well, I don't want to turn this into a big Bible study, but... You, you, well, yes, I yes, do, yes, actually. Do. That's kind of my vocation, actually. Pastor Kevin it's, Minsky <laughs> is our guest. If you just joined us, Israel's the topic, of course. Yeah, so... Think about the progression here of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. It says this, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. Okay, so first of all, God establishes the boundaries of nations and the time in which he allows them to rule and to reign. Okay, that's God's sovereignty. I read on. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. And here's the key. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is allotted heritage. Remember, Jacob got renamed Israel, he who contended with God and prevailed. So first of all, that tells us that Israel is God's specific land. He also says that he has set his throne in Jerusalem forever. Forever. Why, do we, why are we surprised that there's such contention? over the land of Israel, and specifically over the city of Jerusalem throughout the ages, it's because Satan's trying to poke his, his finger in God's eye, take that land over, and one day, by the way, when you read Revelation, his Antichrist is going to set up a false throne in Jerusalem, and he's going to rule and reign there for three and a half years, then the end is going to come. Ezekiel 5.5, 5. this also bears this out. 
Ezekiel 5, 5 says, This is what the Lord God says. This is Jerusalem. I have placed her at the center of the nations with land around her. Think about that phrase. I have placed Jerusalem in the center of the nations. Jerusalem has no natural resources to speak of. It has no, no, no port. It has nothing really that commends itself to want to wanna live there, to want to be there, other than the fact that God claimed it for his own. He says he's placed it in the center of the nations. I want you to, at some point today, if you can, go look at a map in the back of your Bible. If you have a world map, pinpoint Jerusalem. It, it really is at the central point of three continents. So you've got Africa, Europe, and Asia. That is the center point of those three. And you can say, well, what about North America and South America? Well, it's interesting. We're not really talked about in prophecy when it comes to the end times. I don't think we're really relevant when it comes to that. He really literally has put Jerusalem in the center of the nations. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back through those the uh, empires that Daniel saw in his statue, and, and even up until today. So, yeah, there's going to be contention. And he's going to make, you know, Zechariah also says, Jerusalem, a cup of trembling. And all the nations that try to basically, the paraphrase, whoever tries to take her on is going to get a global hernia. And that's what's been the history, if you study the United Nations, among other things. Um, so, you can look at Genesis 25, 23, Malachi 1, 2. It goes all the way back, as I said, 4,000 years. What does it go back to? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We know Jacob became Israel. Who was Jacob's father? Isaac. So Isaac and Rebekah had two kids. But the prophecy was the older will serve the younger. So what we're talking about here is Jacob and Esau. And Esau despised his birthright, as most of you know. Because of that, God placed the birthright onto Jacob. He becomes Israel. What you need to understand historically, these are the nations today that are contending with Israel. It goes all the way back to those two brothers. It said they would always be in contention, and they still are to this day. It's prophesied, and it's even detailed in a, in a particular psalm, which is very interesting, but I'll, I won't digress on that now. I think you, 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 we do need to do the backstory on this because, like, I, I'm fascinated that you said yesterday that people are obsessed by it. I know I was all weekend long, just w watching social media, and the what surprised me was no matter where I went, everyone is talking and weighing in on Israel. Everything else seems to have taken a back seat. Uh, Speaker McCarthy being removed, uh, Ukraine, Taiwan, China, BRICS, whatever everybody else was talking about, it just took the back seat. So it seems to be important to the world in some capacity. Well, and again, I would I always go back to the spiritual realm when it comes to those things. This is a contention between, you know, I, I look at the world as... It's really just one or the other. It's the word of man or the word of God. It's the kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan, city of God, which is Jerusalem, city of Satan, which is Babylon, which will ultimately be judged, Revelation 17. Um, it's the same today. So we know Satan ultimately is trying to upset God's plan. If he can, if he can thwart prophecy, if he can nullify the word of God, then he can defeat God in, in a sense. So He's always going to be in contention for that which God has claimed for his own and that which God has prophesied. So this goes beyond political machinations. This goes beyond economic reasons. There's a deep-seated 
spiritual purpose and a reason behind these contentions. That's why they go back so far. And when you trace who's on what side, you can really see who's in league with who when it comes to God versus Satan. You know, you you talked about a, a couple recent events like Speaker McCarthy and all that. I, I just wrote this down this morning. When you think back to when the, the United States under the current administration literally bugged out of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. left Kabul, that was one of the greatest, um, and by greatest I mean one, one of the uh, most humbling defeats we've ever known as a military. The speed in which we left, uh, it rivaled the, the retreat in Vietnam. I was alive in those days to, to see that, to recognize that. But the amount of weaponry and resources that were left behind, what's interesting, are reports are already coming out that some of the weapons that have been seized have U.S. markings on them. Well, no surprise there, because that was stated right away when we left Afghanistan, that those weapons were going to find their way into the hands of Hamas or Hezbollah, Iran. Uh, so again, we've got the, the retreat from Afghanistan and all the weapons that were used because of that. On the heels of that, then you have Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and that distracts the world there. And that has also some deep-seated political um, history, history behind it that a lot of people don't know. There was over 200 years when Russia actually ruled in Ukraine, and they had the they had that particular land. So that's gone back and forth. A lot of people just look at recent history. And then now you've got China with Taiwan and the, really the military maneuverings that they're proceeding with in the, the Straits of Taiwan and the Sea of Japan are really alarming because they've ramped that up uh, more than ever before. Then you've got this alliance with Turkey and Russia that's been going on for decades. People don't recognize Turkey is the largest uh, military in NATO behind the United States, and yet they're aligning themselves with Russia. Um, and they, in fact, have, uh, you know, they just had that encounter last weekend in Syria where that drone was uh, literally spying on the U.S. planes there, and the U.S. plane had to shoot it down. So now we've got contention with our own NATO ally, Turkey. So we've got all these different things that uh, are creeping into the, the scene right now, and, and it's leading to turmoil politically. Uh, but what we really have, people need to understand. So why you've got uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, you've got Hezbollah in Lebanon, these are just proxy countries basically for Iran, and Iran's a proxy for Russia ultimately. But we got to go back to the religious reasons for this, because if people are motivated enough to strap a bomb to themselves and walk into some place and kill themselves, they'll do anything. So we're talking about Islam, but what kind of Islam? It's a difference between Shia Islam, which is radical, and Sunni Islam, which is more moderate. I think personally, and it's just a personal opinion, which I'm allowed to share Mm -hmm. still in this country for another week or so perhaps, that may end soon, but what's going on right now is Iran does not like the fact that Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt are realigning and they're forming these peace covenants, these peace contracts with Israel currently. So what they need to do is create turmoil in the region again. Because when you do that, when the turmoil is created, their own people, for example in Saudi Arabia, the Shiites in Saudi Arabia will rise up. They will protest. They'll create turmoil for their own government there. And they will cause them to back away from Israel. So we're talking about layers here. We're talking about layers. This is not just, well, we want Jerusalem to have the land. There's the spiritual dimension. Satan wants it. There's the political dimension. 
Iran wants to control the whole region of the Persian Gulf. They do not want the Sunni uh, moderates to be in control there. So it's a religious war. Hezbollah and Hamas are just proxies for Iran. So they're using them right now. But make no mistake, this is the pattern. I mean, I've studied that region personally, historically, since, since Israel became a state again in 1948. What they do is they'll launch their attack. They'll use smaller groups like Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, so that Israel has to use their forces, use their expend, expend their weapons, use their Iron Dome system. And once they get depleted enough, then they launch a full-scale attack. Symbolism is very important to the enemy. And I made some notes here. I wanted to get your opinion on this. Pastor Kevin Minsky from Christ Rock Church in De Pere's our guest live on a fresh new podcast today. And the attack happened on the Sabbath, one day after the Feast of Sukkot and the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur War. Mm-hmm. What, Correct. Is that, you, I was wondering if that was by design. Oh, absolutely. Religious groups, they love uh, symbolism. They love the historical references. That's why 9-11, we're always on such high alert in our country on 9-11. People are going to attack. They like to reuse those same symbols. Uh, but the Yom Kippur War was October 6, 1973, uh, and that was... Um, that was a massive attack by Israel's enemies. Their Arab allies all made a move. They like to do it on religious holidays, uh, even though Islamists always tell Israel, don't you dare attack on Ramadan. Um, I guess they don't mm-hmm. like to play by those same rules. However, it was the end of Sukkot, which is a Feast of Tabernacles. It is the highest day of celebration, and by celebration, I mean partying. Okay, so... <laughs> I mean, let's be real about it. It's supposed to be a day of feasting, a day of where they would be partying, drinking. That's where you, why you saw in the news, if some of you were watching the news, you had these dance parties going on, you had these concerts going Correct. on. It's a celebration. So they had most of their military, most of the civilians literally were sleeping in late. They were ill-prepared for any kind of a physical attack which is strange in and of itself. I'm not an expert. I can't speak to those things. But you would think the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur attack would be a significant event, and they would tend to want to be ready for that. So I'm sure more will come out about that, but um, that is one of the motivations for the timing. There is another motivation, however. There there were meetings in recent weeks in the Middle East, and these are widely publicized in even the mainstream media. I like to look at Al Jazeera, not because mm-hmm. I'm uh, Arabic or Islamic, but <laughs> because I like to know what everybody's talking about there. Um, so there were meetings between Turkey and Iran, and um, and it appears as though they got the go-ahead from Russia um, to actually launch that attack whenever they felt that they were ready. Another interesting thing that happened about a month ago is there was a, and this was on mainstream media in, in America, you had uh, Kim Jong-il, the leader in North Korea, went on a train trip and he went to Moscow and he met with Putin in Russia. And what was leaked later on from that meeting is the fact that Putin's war resources are running low because of Ukraine. So he appealed to Kim Jong-il, and by appeal I mean he told him what he's going to do. So they have to supply Russia with any kind of arms and, and you know military equipment that they have, and that's what's been happening. So since that happened, now they can funnel those arms to that region as well. And that's, that's the pattern. Russia gives them to Iran. Iran runs them north through Lebanon. Lebanon runs them south down to the Gaza Strip, and then they go from there. So 
this all goes back, by the way, to the, and I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be political personally here, although I have my own biases, just like everyone else does, but this Iran nuclear deal that the current administration was so, I'll say, hell-bent on getting overturned, they, they accomplished that, and the administration recently gave Iran $6 billion. Now, that, now they're promising to give $6 billion to Israel to help them because of this attack. Interesting, but yep. what happened was um, uh, President Biden, his chief negotiator, his name is Robert uh, Malley. He's actually a journalist. Uh, he's currently now under FBI investigation, by the way. So the chief negotiator for the Iranian arms uh, deal was a former journalist. Turns out he's a, a really hardcore anti-Semite. He does not like Israel. He thinks that the Palestinians should have every right to take over, in fact, all of that land that he sa- says was seized from them originally back in 67. Well, like I said, now it turns out he's under FBI investigation for actually giving top-secret government documents to the Iranians. So, you know, these are the kind of things that go on and that lead to what we saw uh, on late Friday night and Saturday morning. And what are it's going to go on for a while now. It's going to be a prolonged uh, conflict. I believe that, too. Um, did you see where the United Emirates weighed in on that? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> that's that what I mean. significant? Well, that's my point. you got... United Arab Emirates, um, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got Egypt. They've been trying to normalize relations with Israel. Um, it's just a losing proposition. You know, you talk about, um, I, I saw uh, AOC and, and a couple other legislators from our own government had a pro-Palestinian rally in New York over the weekend, and one of the comments was, you know, this is just, uh, we need to do away with the apartheid system. Well, apartheid goes back to South Africa, okay, decades ago. And what it was is you had a ruling class of people that, that lived in the same place, but they segregated cities, towns, jobs. You could only do what they told you to do. Look, the Gaza Strip is not segregated. Israel left the Gaza Strip entirely in 2005. It is not an apartheid system, um, it, but it shouldn't surprise us that they're using terms of which they have no knowledge because they do that about civics. They go in there on the mm-hmm. house floor itself and they try to talk about uh, the branches of government and don't seem to understand that there's three branches and how they function. So, not to be unkind. The uh, I just was not that, personally, Pastor Kevin, I'm, I was never that uh, well-versed on Hamas. And so when I saw that, I'm going, who is Hamas? And, and I don't remember even hearing anything about them any, mm-hmm. in recent time. And how did, so somebody, my, my brain goes, somebody's behind this. They can't do this themselves. Take on news. Well, no. So I, I, and I don't want to backtrack, so I apologize if, I, if I'm doing that. But I just, Hamas, who's Hamas? No, again, it's, uh, I kind of liken it to the gang situation in, in cities, urban areas in, in our country. So what happens is, the gangs will try to, uh, they'll reach out and try to, to draw in other young people, and they give them a promise of, hey, we'll be your family. We got your back. We'll protect you. Just do what we tell you to do. Well, that's kind of what Hamas is in terms of the, the militant Islamic world. These are disenfranchised young people. They're raised and they're indoctrinated with a hatred of Israelis. Okay. They've been continually told that Israel stole your land. Um, so it's almost like, you know, you have a right to go in and do whatever you have to do to take back what's yours. Then they weaponize them, then they send them out on their missions. So you've got the people sitting in Tehran or in the Kremlin 
they love it because they can send all these minions out to die for them and to create turmoil and discord. Ultimately, it's Satan. That's our adversary. He's the uh, he's the originator of death, right? So comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's having a field day right now. Again, it's just proxy war. Sure. Uh, Sunni, but, Shiite, but um, they're but they're not mentioning the proxies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and and I've been hearing some. Uh, I just like I said, I was on all over the social media, and I've been seeing all of these. I guess I'm going to just call them influencers, uh, pastors, authors, cl- saying this is the worst attack on Israel and America in, in world history, and, and they're they're pushing this. What do you call it? Hyperbole type. Yeah, that narrative. That this is the worst. In world history, this is like time for concern, in times concern. Well, yeah, and when events are fresh and emotions are high, it's it's very common for us to use hyperbolic language like that, to say this is the worst attack Israel has ever known in her history, including 1948, 1967, 1973. Frankly, you you just can't make that statement. I mean, 1948, when Israel, May 7th, became a nation again, the very next day, all the Arab neighbors launched a coordinated attack, and it was government-sponsored attack against the nation of Israel. At the time, they basically had bolt-action rifles and tractors that they were defending themselves with. When you study the history of Israel's military victories, it really is miraculous. You can clearly see God's hand involved in those victories, all the various wars that they always talk about, whether it's Yom Kippur, the the Six-Day War, all of them. So to make that kind of statement to say this attack is worse than all of those, um, I personally would not agree with it. It is egregious. It, it's demonic. It's evil. When you see some of the scenes that took place, the carnage, the, the murder, it was literally murder of civilians, women, children. Um, and what's happening yet today with the abductions, it's just really, uh, it's beyond words. Again, so it's demonic. That, that's as harsh as I can say about anything. It's literally demonic. And you, uh, your opinion is it's going to be a long, long conflict? Well, I just read you that litany. So you go back to Afghanistan, just to Afghanistan. I'm not even going back that far. Afghanistan, Ukraine, China with Taiwan. you got to look at it like this. These foreign powers know that the United States is weakened right now. Um but they don't know what's going to happen in the next election. And I know some people will try to say, well, the election's going to be rigged anyway, and they'll get back in. Well, they don't know that. We don't know that. If they're going to have to make a move before they know they're going to get blocked, it's going to be within this next year. Well, we've seen foreign governments doing that already. I think China, Taiwan is is right on the border of that. Uh, you're going to see more things with Turkey and Russia. But frankly, I'll tell you this, Crash, we're... We are under an invasion ourselves. People sure. just don't realize it. Yes, sir. There is so much fentanyl coming in across our southern border that there are a hundred thousand Americans dying from fentanyl every year. Think about that in terms of warfare. A hundred thousand casualties per year. Now, people used to have the death counts from the Vietnam War on the nightly news every night. Walter Cronkite and people were up in arms about uh, thirty-two dead. 100,000 from fentanyl because that border is wide open. And it's estimated 8 million illegals have now come across in the last three years. It's just... But Biden said he's going to close the border. 
Well, he is now because he knows that even 67% even now of Democrats believe that the border is a major issue. He's got to do something with that now. That's how the polls have all changed now. So he's no longer on the right side of the border issue with his own Democrats. He's no longer on the right side economically because of inflation. Bidenomics is now a joke for the Democrats as well. 73% of Democrats I read this morning uh, believe that it's, it's not sustainable. I don't believe anything coming from the White House myself. So when somebody says this or that, I'm going, well, I just don't believe any of that. And I've also heard we only got about a minute here or so uh, that there's talk on social media that there's not even going to be an election in 2024. Have you heard that? Well, I've heard a lot of things. As a pastor, I constantly have people sending me uh, links to videos and YouTube and whatnot. Remember, just recently, there was supposed to be a major event on September 25th. There was supposed to be something early early October. I don't put a lot of stock in those things. I try to take reality as it comes. You have to. (laughs) You just have to. Well, I mean, most people don't, though, these days. Pastor Kevin Minsky, Christ the Rock Church in De Pere, is our guest in studio guest. And we're going to tackle some other theological topics on the way. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page, brand new YouTube page. It's at Q90FM Radio, where we're putting video versions of the podcast. Also, subscribe to the newsletter. Hit the subscribe button at StandUpForTheTruth.com. StandUpForTheTruth.com. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So many of you listening online right now at Q90FM.com slash listen. Thank you so much. And, of course, your feedback's appreciated. As you heard the email, comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Crash Connell, and I'm with Pastor Kevin Miskey of Christ the Rock Church. We've been talking, if you just tuned in, been talking about uh, the elephant in the room, Israel. Any uh, closing thoughts so we can uh, talk about some other things here? Well, I think there's been a lot of political decisions from our own government that have led up to some of these things. But uh, I always think back to uh, one of my favorite quotes from a previous Egyptian president, Abdul Nasser. He was president in Egypt from 1956 to 1970, which for me, it was also a very turbulent time in the Middle East. But uh, he said this, The genius of you Americans is that you never make clear-cut stupid moves. (laughs) You only make complicated stupid moves, which make us wonder if there may be something to it more than we are just missing. So in other words, (laughs) we're making some dumb moves, but they think it they can't be that dumb. So there must be a secret thing behind that dumb move, so it just makes Well, that is... (laughs) I, that's something to ponder <laughs> it right is. there because even when we're reading the headlines. So my my point there is so let's you know, the nuclear arms deal, let's give six let's release six billion dollars to Iran and what do we expect is gonna happen on the heels of that. So those kind of things have consequences and here we are today. Fleeing from Afghanistan, leaving all the weapons behind. What I mean, what do we expect is gonna happen? So Okay. Well, at uh, Christ the Rock Church in De Pere, I was really, really blessed that uh, you have begun teaching on Sunday mornings uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, so much needs to be understood 
Uh, it just it is the foundation. I like the word you used yesterday. I did not know that the word Genesis comes from generations. Mm-hmm. Learn something new every day. So yes, I was uh, very blessed by your overview of Genesis, and thought we should share that with the Stand Up for the Truth audience as well. Well, when it comes to the book of Genesis, it really is the foundation, not only of the entire Bible, but it's the foundation of our entire lives. It covers every major issue that we currently face in our society today. It talks about the origin of man and woman. It talks about the origin of gender. It talks about the origin of marriage. It even talks about the origin of clothes. I mean, why do we wear clothes? Well, that goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When sin entered in, Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. God made coats of skin. So what we've really talked about the last several weeks uh, at our church, not just Genesis literally as uh, that foundation of the Bible and the foundation for all of our lives, but conceptually, where are we at now in the world? Since the 1800s, everything has really been about evolution and evolutionary theory. So we're trying to look at things conceptually, and I always ask our folks to check our biases at the door. So be a good Berean, search the word, think things through. If you think about the Big Bang, for example, what that ultimately does is tries to deny a creator. Then that leads to evolution, which denies order, purpose, and meaning in life. So if kids are raised now teaching that you're just random chance and and an accident from billions of years, you have no creator God, you have no eternal purpose, he has no plan for you, well, then you do have no meaning and purpose in life. Why am I here? What am I ultimately for? What am I going to do? If you believe in a creator, you believe in a designer, and that designer has a specific purpose and plan for your life. His plans for you are good. He ultimately wants to be in a relationship with you personally, and then have you reflect his son, Jesus Christ, back to the world around us. So it all starts with what God has instilled in mankind. It says he created man in his image. Well, one of the things God gave us inherently is our conscience. And we know right from wrong at a certain point in our life, right? Then the Holy Spirit, he says himself, leads us into all truth, but it says he'll convict the world of both sin and righteousness. So that conscience leads us to the point where we know we need a God. All right? Now, God has also instilled in us the ability to recognize design. What does that mean? You know, Romans 20 says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So in other words, we know that God is by simply looking around and looking at the the miraculous design of creation. we got to do a lot of mental gymnastics, frankly, to explain away the existence of a creator. We don't do that with anything else. When you go to the Apple store and you want to buy a new computer or a watch, you never once think, wow, they just threw uh, 1,200 parts in a bag and they shook it up for a billion years and out came this Apple watch. This is amazing. You know there's a design to that. Well, how can you look up in the night sky and not think that there is truly a designer, a creator God? So... We're getting into those conceptual things, but we're also looking at the history of Charles Darwin and the origin of the species. And we, we talked about a lot of quotes from his own writings, how he doubted his own theories throughout his life. And in the end, he admitted the fact he was strictly and simply trying to explain away God. That's what evolution tries to do. 
We don't want God in our society, our government, our schools, our homes. Get God out. So how do we do it? Evolution. It's a religion on its own. More and more, it is being disproved by science, uh, especially microbiology and quantum physics today, and yet people still hold to it as if it is scientific fact. Now, that's what, again, leads to this point of no God. Ultimately, um, what is that quote oh, from Karl Marx? Anyone believing in God must have a mental disorder that causes invalid thinking. So Marx started from the premise that you can't even begin to think that there's a God. If you do, you're mentally diseased. Well, we're facing a lot of that same kind of a bias today in our culture. If you don't believe in evolution, you're anti-science, right? And people, in fact, don't even know the scientific advancements just in the last 10 years that have disproven more and more the theory of evolution. It could not have happened the way that they said it did in the 1800s. So there is a God. And if there's a God, we're beholden to him. He is Lord. And we will bow that knee one day to him and have to give an account. It's beautiful. Uh, just uh, listening to the service yesterday, little things that hang in my head made trees pleasing to the eye when you said that. Right. And how we ride around now here in northeast Wisconsin, you can't drive around and look at the trees, and they are so pleasing to the eye. And I went, wow, he actually said that. And that was on purpose. Um when I'm talking about Genesis with others, it's uh, another common one is the age of the earth. Mm -hmm. And I read Genesis and I come up with my belief of the age that we're, it's a young earth. And yet you have so many uh, theologians and philosophers saying it's an old earth. Right. And so I don't know why I did. Crash Connell come up with the young earth. I can I can argue what I think contextually, right? Well, you can you can make that argument uh, even scientifically. So the problem isn't science, and that's the, that's the issue here. People always say, "Well, you got to trust the science." Yeah, I do trust the science. It's the scientists that I have issues with at times. Why? Because scientists are human beings just like we are, and they all have biases as well. So what do you do with the? Uh, with the molecular biologist who starts off his career being an atheist, and by the time he really gets into his work, he discovers the fact that there is an issue called irreducible complexity, that these things could not have evolved piece by piece on their own. It took simultaneous elements of something, like the human eye, to coexist or it would never have worked. How do you explain that? See, they finally come to the realization, wait a minute, there was a designer. Maybe it's not God. I don't know what this God is, but there's something more out there, and it couldn't just evolve. So, again, we're talking about humans that are interpreting data, and that you know, no less plays into the age of the Earth issue. So a young Earth person, such as yourself, would say that the Earth is basically 6,000 years old. You base it on, on various things biblically, such as the genealogical record in the Old Testament, but we can also look at it scientifically rock layers, the substrata of fossils um, in the ground, for example. If you look at those things, you have to somehow come up with an answer for those, and that, and, and not only for scientists, but for pastors, and which is one of the, the great griefs in my spirit. Some great theologians that I still respect and love over the years went the way of, for example, gap theory, because Correct. they thought somehow... We're going to be looked at as unscientific, and we have to cram the Bible into millions of years. 
So we'll take and put a big gap of millions of years before Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 and say God created this pre-Adamic world and Lucifer uh, was created and he caused it to fall and it led to all this death and destruction. Well, you have a lot of problems with that. Number one, that the New Testament tells us that through one man sin entered the world and that man was Adam. And because of sin came death. Death from sin. If you had pre-Adamic sin, then the Bible's not true. So, there's, see, there's a lot of issues that make Genesis chapters 1 through 11 critical to our belief in the entire Bible. And if you start driving a wedge in those issues theologically, then you throw the whole thing out. Ultimately, that's Satan's plan, though. He doesn't really care about what you believe about the age of the earth. He's just trying to get you to allegorize or doubt the veracity, the uh, integrity of Scripture. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light. That was not the sun, by the way. That comes on day four. What was this light? It was God's Shekinah glory. The theme of light, which God begins in Genesis 1, he takes it to John chapter 1, when Jesus is declared to be that light, and then that light in Genesis 22, which will once again light the kingdom. It says it'll have no need of the sun, for God himself will be its light. It's a continuous theme throughout the whole Bible. So you start picking around in there and taking out what you want, throwing away other parts of it, then the whole foundation crumbles and it falls. Is it, is it Mark chapter 4 or, or 5 or 9 where Jesus is talking about divorce? In the beginning, God made them and like that. So... They're talking about the, is that, I don't know what the gap theory is. I'm not familiar with it. But they were talking about uh, millions of years before Adam and Eve. Yep. Is that what the gap theory is? Yeah, when you read uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and onward, and you look at the days of creation, I just quoted you chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Okay, they say that that was a pre-Adamic, so before Adam okay. and the six days that okay. we know of of creation, there was a totally separate creation. God made a totally different world. Uh, he had Lucifer there. He had angels there. That's when Lucifer rebelled, supposedly. He led the other angels in rebellion. That created sin and death. It led to God's judgment. So there was actually a flood. It's called the Luciferian flood, Lucifer's flood, which destroyed that whole creation. God starts over on top of that. That's where you get the fossil record, they say. Mm. And that's why some geological strata would seem to indicate millions of years. But again, that's, that's just interpretation by various scientists. Uh, carbon dating, that's inconsistent. All these things right. are inconsistent. So again, it's the biases that enter in. Um, and that's no different than Big Bang Theory. So Big Bang Theory is all matter in the universe existed at one time in, in on the head of uh, the size of a head of a, a ballpoint pen, it was so dense, and it began to spin, and it collected all the stardust in the universe. So my question is, okay, first of all, where did that little dot of matter come from? Where did the stardust come from? And anyway, it spun, finally explodes, spreads out. So now we've got the universe expanding. The question always remains: Where did the original matter come from? Just like atheists like to ask me, where did God come from? Who created God? Well, by definition, he's God. Nobody created him. That coffee cup in your hand is not going to turn to you, crash, and say, where did you create me from, or how did you buy me, or whatever. It can't do that. 
That's our limitation when it comes to Almighty Eternal God just as much. So I tell them, you are following a religion. You have a faith-based system. You believe this matter always existed, even though you can't explain where it came from, how it came into being. And that's one of the laws of logic. I exist. I exist, right? Something cannot come from nothing. Therefore, something had to originate the substance. That's where God comes in. And they can't argue that. They just say, we don't know yet. We haven't discovered where the matter came from. So now we're getting all into the ph well, philosophical thing. But we, uh, Pastor Kevin Minsky at Christ Rock Church in De Pere is our guest uh, on Stand Up for the Truth here. Got another 14, 13 minutes here. I even read somewhere where I think Richard Dawkins said that nothing is something. Because <laughs> uh, that's the problem, like you said. That's always been, in my discussions, how does some? How does nothing explode? So, and it, it, it sounds snarky, but I'm, I'm asking a question. And and, and the reason for, uh, like, I, when I started the the question was, um, we if we don't understand Genesis, I think I I'll just say it like this: It, it seems to, if we don't get Genesis right, then the whole gospel has to unravel. Well, it's the origin of sin, right? And I say this to our folks all the time at church. It's like when you go out and you share the gospel in this day and age, one thing that people love to tend or tend to leave out is the issue of sin. They'll say things like, hey, just come to Christ. He has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. He'll make your marriage better and heal your finances, etc. We've got to back this up. The fact is we're born in sin. We're separated from God. We have no way to get to God because we're dead spiritually, okay? But Christ, God so loved the world that God took on human flesh, Jesus Christ, and he took that cross on my behalf. So the issue of the gospel is this. I'm a sinner, and I need saving. If I'm not confronted with my sin, why would I ever accept a Savior? Okay, so that's really at the heart of all this. That's Genesis chapter 3. How did sin enter in? It, it came in through our parents, Adam and Eve, and it translates down to every person because of that so every one of us that's why i say we're all born in sin and we need a savior if you if you get that message out of the way then you have no gospel and if you have no gospel you have no salvation and if no salvation you have no relationship and you're headed for a christless eternity in the lake of fire and this brings up my next question i hope we have time to talk about it born again how do you know mm -hmm. you're born again? How do you know? What is born again and how do you know? Yeah. John chapter 3. The phrase born again is introduced by Jesus himself, no less, in John chapter 3. Uh, the teacher in Israel, a guy named Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night and he's asking him these questions, you know, really about, hey, I'm a, guy, I'm a good guy, I'm a teacher in Israel, and, and surely I'm right with God. And Jesus turns the whole conversation on Nicodemus's head and he said, uh, you must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He said, what? How can a man enter another second time into his mother's womb? He thinks Jesus is talking about physical birth. So here's what born again means then. We are all, obviously, if you're listening today, born physically. But you're born spiritually dead. Your spirit is dead in you because of sin. That spirit in you needs to be made alive, and it's only made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. Just like God breathed into Adam, the Ruach, the, Genesis. the breath of life, Genesis chapter 2, right? The same way the Holy Spirit 
We call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when you're born again. He gives you new life in that moment. So your spirit's made alive. From that moment on, you really have this relationship with God where His Holy Spirit will direct you if you walk in the Spirit. That's why every day we need to be sin-confessed. We be in the Word. We be seeking God's direction. He loves to give that by His Holy Spirit in us. So born again literally is being made alive in the Spirit. So there's the old saying, He who was born once dies twice. He who was born twice dies only once. So I'll throw the riddle at you mm -hmm. just to hurt your brain. So if you're only born once, that means you're born physically. You'll die twice. You'll die physically, but you're also going to die for eternity spiritually. However, he who's born twice, you're born of the flesh and of the spirit. Born again only dies once, your flesh. But your spirit goes to be with him for eternity in heaven. So born again is the spiritual element there that we all try to deny and, and crush by evolution, atheism, etc. Or denominations. Um, one of the greatest impediments to the gospel is religion. So how do I know? <laughs> well, I understand born again. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm born again because I don't feel born again. I yeah. sin. I struggle. Am I born again? Mm -hmm. I need to know I'm born again. Yeah. The issue, again, is you said the right word there. We get so caught up in our feelings. Now, God has given us emotion. He's given us feeling. That's a part of our soul, that psyche within man. However, we never make our decisions based on feelings because they're false and, and they can really deceive us. That's why it's so critical. When we talk about living a life by faith, that literally means believe what God says. That means be in his word. If you know what his word says about you, that's going to give you the confidence that you can stand on in your spiritual life. So how do I know that I'm born again? You have received Jesus' blood as the only payment for your sin. Well, we know biblically that says that you are born again unto eternal life. It says you're sealed by his Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. It says in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it, will perform it, until the day of Jesus Christ when he returns. And I could go on and on with a hundred different verses. The fact of the matter is this. You confess you're a sinner. Jesus is your only payment. You know by his word that you're born again. Even on them days when you feel like junk and you don't feel like you're born again, you believe in faith what he says in his word. But here's one of the tests materially that you can use to know if you're born again. There will be an evidence of change in your life. There will be fruit that is produced. The scriptures are very clear about that. Now, we don't do works to get saved. We do works because we already are saved. So the people that should question their status are the people that see zero, no discernible change in their life. There, there is such a thing as just making an intellectual confession, uh, which isn't genuine. Uh, we got to be very careful about that. So it's not an emotional call to God. It's not an intellectual call to God. It's a genuine call in faith, confessing what he says in his word. I'm thinking of the uh, parable of the seeds. Mm -hmm. would, that, would that be a parable of soils? Mm-hmm. Yep, only 25%, right? One out of four fell in good soil, and it, and it grew up, and it bore fruit um, 30, 60, 100-fold. Uh, that's exactly the point. So you can't help but be used of God when you're truly in love with God, when you're born again, when you're in that relationship with God. There is a discernible change, not only in your thought life, 
uh, but in your actual everyday life as well. You no longer desire to do the things you used to do. We are all going to fall into sin, but that's why he put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's one of my favorite passages. Don't sin. Yep. But if you do. Correct. That's one nine one seven. Remember what that says. If anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself. Truth, truth is not in him, right? So we got to be careful. There, there are movements out there that try to say, "Well, you're you're now redeemed. You're born Correct. again, and therefore you no longer sin." Here's the problem with that: that I am still housed in a body of flesh. My spirit man in me is alive to Christ because of his Holy Spirit. And yet this flesh wants to still be pleased every day. And you can make yourself crazy thinking, well, I should never sin because now I'm born again. Well, then verses like 1 John 1, 9 would make no sense. They wouldn't be in the Bible because he's talking to believers in that section. The context is very clear. And, well, Paul, I want to do this, you know. Correct. The good that I want to do, that I don't. The bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. A wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of the body of this death. That's exactly what I was just talking about. That is, that's why we get apoplexic. I mean, we're housing this body of flesh that wants to be pleased and it wants to sin. We do it, then we feel bad. The fact you feel bad is good. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the evidences that shows you're born again. So much to cover. <laughs> uh, we got to get you on again. We got, let's see here, about a minute or two. I want to make sure that if there's anything on your heart that you'd like to share in these last couple of minutes. Well, I just appreciate the fact that in our fellowship, the Holy Spirit has led us, uh, at least on Sundays, we're in Genesis. On Wednesday nights, we are actually in Revelation. But uh, I just love getting back to what I consider the foundational things. Because in our culture in this day and age, people, they want to argue or even just discuss abortion, pornography, euthanasia transgenderism, LGBTQ, gender identity, gay marriage issues, or the lawlessness that we see increasing in our culture, uh, critical race theory, gender bathrooms, all these issues. Every one of those is covered in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. You know, it, it, it covers all these foundational issues for our life. So the, issue are, the issues are not at what's in play. It's whether, whether I'm going to accept and believe the word of God, or take man's word. You can declare your own gender, for example, when God said he made him male and female. So then I lean on my biological friends, my scientist friends, and say, how is that d d discerned? Well, XY chromosome male, XX female. That's it. There ain't no third or 120th. Genesis is where we are at uh, Christ the Rock Church in De Pere for our local listeners. And there's, let's see, you have a 8 a.m. service and a 10.30 a.m. service. And you're in the book of Mark on Q90FM on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Central, the book of Mark. Thanks, Pastor Kevin. Thank you. We'll do this again. Standupforthetruth.com is where you'll find the podcast posted here in a little bit. And Q90FM radio on YouTube and also CTRN online on Rumble. 